Weekly You Demon. Episode 52. Well, it would be one year, but as some of you know, I miss some time. So it's really been about, I don't know, 14 months, 15 months of this podcast. It's going pretty well. Listenership seems to be growing. I thank all of you who are spreading the word out there. I'm actually in a splendid podcasting mood. It's Saturday evening. Just got back from Mass, which I went to by myself. I like going with my family, but don't mind it when I get the consolation prize and go by myself. They're all at a chicken dinner fundraiser. I've been banned from that parish. <laughs> Those who don't recall by that, the guy who told me I wasn't praying properly because I was using my iPhone to pray with. <laughs> so I, this guy's—he's—he's uh, he's there a lot, so I just—I don't. I'm not a very confrontational guy. I'm like Miles Garrett, you know. I'm a self-described pacifist and poet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I saw that in a, in, a, in a news story after Miles Garrett conked Rudolph with his, with his own helmet. <laughs> I read that Miles Garrett considered himself a pacifist and a poet. So that's kind of me. And I don't want to, you know, be confronted by confronted by this coso at <laughs> this neighboring parish and rip his head off and hit him with it. <laughs> so I try to stay away. And tonight they're there and then they're going to the chicken dinner afterwards, the chicken dinner fundraiser for the school. Which I still, my, my kids don't go to school there. I still donate time to that school and donate money to it. I believe in it. It's a great little school. But I try to keep my distance. <laughs> so I went to this neighboring mass, got out early, came back. We have company coming over this evening. That's uh, Marie's brother and his wife, two of my favorite people to drink with. They're like in the top five. Which is like 24 couples I like to drink with. <laughs> so to be in the top five, that, that, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Oh, I'm actually enjoying a monster vodka tonic and it's monster in size. It's 6.8 ounces of tonic and two ounces of vodka and in cost because I'm drinking the Crystal Head Vodka. This is Dan Aykroyd's vodka. It's poured over Herkimer Diamonds, the whole nine yards. I actually had some friends over and we drank it straight for an evening. Ah, none of us can really tell the difference though between that and, <laughs> and the absolute. We don't have that fine palate, I guess. So that $50 Crystal Head Vodka bottle's been sitting in my family room for the past six weeks. So I thought, well, I'll go ahead and pour two shots in, add 6.8 ounces of Fever Tree Mediterranean Tonic. It's This is a new thing for me. Definitely recommend it. It's outstanding. Mediterranean Tonic is just regular tonic, but they mix in all sorts of botanicals with it, and it's specially formulated for vodka. I'm not sure Fever Tree meant for it to be that way, but when I read about it online, they're like, if you want a vodka tonic, use a Mediterranean Tonic. It's great. The thing I don't get, though, I really think this Mediterranean vodka tonic is really just a Western gin tonic. You know, Western gin, that is like regular gin with the juniper, but the juniper taste is kind of suppressed. It's pushed to the bottom, and they add a bunch of botanicals, and orange flavoring, things like that, rosemary. 
So, to my thinking, this Mediterranean tonic, which is tonic water with a bunch of Mediterranean botanicals thrown in, is basically just like a Western-style gin and tonic. You know, different type of botanicals, maybe, different flavor a little bit, but I think it's largely the same thing. Just, just no juniper at all. But it is freaking outstanding. Even though I don't have any limes. Thanks for ruining my drink, Marie! It's one flaw in the evening. I was looking for the limes or lemon or something to cut it and put in it. I don't have it. Now, as a practical matter, half the time I don't use lime and lemon anyway. I just, yeah, I'm pumping all sorts of expensive tonic with the fever tree. I usually have a pretty good gin or a pretty good vodka. Don't really need it. It's a, this is it's a splendid freaking drink. Alright, halfway through it here. Also in a splendid mood. My Michigan Wolverines have, uh, Definitely turned the corner, and they beat up on the Spartans 44-10. to 10. That was, ex- I don't want to say it was exciting to watch, but <laughs> but I I had speculated a couple weeks ago when Michigan got just throttled by Wisconsin. I thought, you know, maybe Harbaugh has completely like torn the program down from scratch and is trying to rebuild it on a model that can compete with Clemson and Alabama since they're like on a level of their own. And... People kind of scoffed at me. I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know enough about football really to have an opinion like that. But I don't understand how a team with such a highly vaunted offense ranked seventh in the preseason. Bookies in Vegas were high on Michigan. And those mofos do know a lot about college football. <laughs> you know, I don't know how Michigan could have been so bad unless they're trying to do something radically, starting from scratch or completely remaking the program. And... Today on Fox Sports, they actually kind of corroborated that. They said Gaddis came in to the Michigan program and remade the offense, and it just took longer to get it off off the launching pad than it should have. And so that's why it took the third or fourth week for it really for it to start hitting all cylinders. So partly exonerated. I'm not, not sure why the defense sucks so bad. <laughs> Although actually, I do. They they lost like two or three first round picks. Um, you know, the defense is depleted, and they're, it's a young defense, so taking down Browns from time to get it back together. So anyway, excited about Michigan. They have to go into Indiana. I've always liked Indiana. We have to go on the road. Indiana's run out ranked. So I, I'm i not, not you know, who knows? They got Indiana on the road, which is top. Then Ohio State comes in, and Ohio State's just freaking scary. So I suspect my, my uh my glee will be short-lived here, but I still have the uh, Crystal Head Vodka and the Fever Tree Tonic. <laughs> Mediterranean Tonic, at that. I actually bought Fever Tree Tonic stock about six months ago, a year ago, as my new uh, investing philosophy. I actually studied stock investing when I was in high school. Uh, I used to get Barron's. I read it all the time. I could, you know, I could learn some basic things about stock market investing. And then when the market crash occurred in 2008, 2009, I read a lot of books about investing and economics in general. And I, after hours, I mean, gosh, I, hundred, I don't know, a ton of time reading and studying, I finally came to the conclusion that, uh, I ain't never going to master this. <laughs> so I basically invest in metal stocks and then conventional stocks that my broker recommends. Like I bought Phillips 66, things like that. And then if there's something I like, I buy that stock. And I love Fever Tree Tonic, so I bought Fever Tree Tonic. It already had quite a big of a run-up, so I have not seen how it's done since then, but I think it's done fairly well. 
So that's my new investing philosophy. I tried it. Wanted to, I wanted to buy a Speedway stock, but that's just a, a subarm of mobile mobile oil, and I probably ought to buy mobile oil. But you know, I think I think Speedway is just this uh, the greatest thing, and they're coming out with all sort of all sorts of automated type products. It's supposed to be really up and coming. So if you're looking for a good stock tip, you know, you want to try mobile oil. Although, gosh, with that freaking Dow at 28,000, it's hard to buy anything these days. <laughs> it's like you're just getting ready for it to majorly crash. <laughs> well, we're actually going to jump right into the lightning segments. <laughs> that was a hell of a long introduction. My apologies for that. But again, I'm having this like this is splendid Saturday evening by myself with the promise of good company at the end of this, you know, first part of the evening by seven o'clock my company should be here i should have a good buzz on we'll get the music going should be a good time so i'm exuberant so sorry sorry for that uh, lengthy introduction hopefully you found it halfway amusing i know i did <laughs> hey got a, got a great joke it's it's november 16th as i'm as i'm speaking here and as opening uh, opening day of deer season yesterday for shotguns, rifles if you're in the northern part of Michigan, but shotguns the rest of Michigan, November 15th, big hunting day. Yeah, one of my favorite jokes of all time revolves around hunting. I mean, tell it to you here in the lightning segments. So Timmy goes to hunting camp for the first time with his friend, and he walks in there, and one of the old timers says, Hey, fellas, this is Timmy. He's new here. Let's show him a good hunting camp welcome. And everyone kind of applauds and welcomes Jimmy, shakes his hand or whatever. I said, Jimmy, hey, it's Friday night. You have a great time. We're bringing in a bunch of booze. We're going to play cards all night, get hammered. You have a great time. And Timmy goes, well, I goes, I don't really, uh, I'm not much for card playing, and I, and I don't drink. And I'm like, well, you probably aren't going to have much fun Friday night. But hey, don't worry, Timmy. Saturday, when we get back from hunting, we bring in some of the local talent. 20 bucks, and these girls, they go all night, man. You're going to have a great time with these women. Timmy goes, I don't patronize prostitutes. There's a little silence and says, well, I guess you ain't going to have much fun Saturday night either. He goes, Timmy goes, uh, you don't bang prostitutes, you don't like to drink, you don't play uh, cards. He goes, are you uh, by chance homosexual? <laughs> Timmy's like, I am not. And one of the guys says, oh, shit, you ain't going to have fun Sunday night either. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. That's one of my dad's jokes. My dad had a freaking ton of jokes. Always one for every occasion. Like, this should be like a Mel Shusky 365 days of the year joke book. <laughs> no matter what day it was, Mel Shusky would have had a joke for it. He's a freaking hilarious man. Every time I start drinking, I miss him. And being the month of November, I'm allowed to reminisce like that for you non-Catholics out there. This is the month of the dead. It's a beautiful month. You look at the people who have died. You look at your own mortality. You value those around you. That's something the modernists never, ever got. And I still don't think they've gotten it. Although I have seen some, I've seen this truth creeping into the, into the pop culture here and there in the movies and whatnot. It's by respecting the dead, loving the dead, and remembering the dead. You better appreciate the living. I guess it's the whole binary thing. I have to flush it out some more. <laughs> but... It, it, it's a beautiful thing to remember the dead. It's a natural thing to, to pray for the dead, quite frankly. And again, I'm not trying to offend my Protestant listeners. By the way, I started reading a Protestant theologian, or, a, or rather, about a Protestant theologian named Haman in the uh, 18th century, a friend of Immanuel Kant's. Actually, fascinating by what I'm seeing. Lutheran, Lutheran philosophy. He wasn't a theologian, but anyway. 
that's probably by the time I get a chance to incorporate him into a podcast, we're probably 12 months down the road. But anyway, I, I do think praying for the dead even is a natural inclination, whether it's theologically accurate. Hey, we can have a Mediterranean vodka tonic and talk about that. <laughs> but I do think it's a natural thing. I don't think it can be denied. And I think the overall appreciation in November, appreciating the dead, remembering the dead, I think that adds juice to life itself. Yeah. Oh, well, that could be the vodka talking. I don't know. Screw this Arctic vortex. <laughs> Jeez, oh, freaking Pete. I don't want to say it ruined an otherwise splendid trip to New England last week, but it sure as frick put a damper on it. Went to Logan International Airport in Boston. And we kept checking. We kept checking every like hour. Marie is Marie's really good at making travel arrangements. You check like every hour. The plan on time, plan on time, plan on time. And finally, it is. We took we Ubered from my daughter Abby's house in Boston. She actually lives in Brookline. Ubered over to Logan. Sat there for an hour, thinking, "Hey, we're about ready to board." They announced, "Nope, you ain't boarding." Three out of four runways at Detroit Metro are shut down because this freaking Arctic storm that came through. In freaking November. He <laughs> liked that Boston accent, Bill Burr type. I was hot. I yeah. If uh, if you didn't know it, I'm not a saint. <laughs> I'm not even freaking close, based on my behavior at Logan International Airport. Yeah, I dropped a few f bombs, uh, <laughs> but I did say all along. It's a hats off to the people who realized that and didn't put us in the freaking air. I was coming back from London three years ago, and we're in line. Maria's texting a good friend of hers back here in near Kalamazoo, Michigan, where we live. And her friend's like, boy, she goes, I mean, the fog is so thick. She goes, I can, I can barely see my hand in front of my face. There's like no freaking way you're going to land. But no matter, we go through security. We wait. We get on the plane. We fly from Detroit to Kalamazoo. And they say, we can't land. It's too thick. And I was like, well, no shit. Frick. <laughs> Our neighbor down the street told us that. What was, what was air traffic control in Detroit doing? That they couldn't figure that out. So we had to. Turn around, come back to Detroit, rent a car, and drive back, drive back to Kalamazoo. It's like unfreaking believable. So here, hats off to air traffic controller, or whoever the frick it is who uses common sense, and said, "Don't even leave the airport." So we just sit in the airport for hours, waiting for our flight to leave. But that's better than sitting on the tarmac or circling above Detroit Metro. So hats off to someone. This is strictly weather related it was no one's fault but it sucked anyway other than that splendid trip i want to say if you haven't done so yet get to portland maine we went to portland maine marine i got off on the plane on thursday went straight to portland maine from logan international airport about an hour and a half drive blown away and you look at Portland, Maine, again on Wikipedia, there's like no skyline. Looks like a blue-collar working type town. And it is. These are working wars. You see that everywhere, everywhere you talk about. Every website talks about Portland, Maine. They're like, well, these are working wars. You know, whenever you hear about working class, working wars, I always think, that's like people talk about Detroit. Well, Detroit's like a working town. <laughs> it's like, no shit. Detroit's a welfare town. <laughs> but they always, they use these euphemisms. So I'm, I'm a little nervous going to Portland, Maine, although its demographics don't indicate that it has a high crime rate. 
I was like, how worky wars. And sure enough, we get there. And, you know, there's some grittiness in Portland, Maine. But holy frickin' smokes, what a neat city. First off, it's only 65,000 people. And that makes it barely bigger than Battle Creek, which I, I don't like even driving half an hour to Battle Creek. <laughs> much less spend, a, spend 24 hours there. So I was not expecting much at all from Portland, Maine. But I get there and I was like, holy frickin' smokes. This feels like a hell of a lot bigger than 65,000. And I figured out why. The metropolitan Portland area is over 500,000. So I ran the numbers. Like, in the Portland, Maine metropolitan area, 13% of the population lives in Portland. The rest of the population lives in the suburbs of Portland, Maine. That's a hell of a ratio. Now think about Detroit. Detroit and St. Louis are like, I think, one or two among major metropolitan areas or metropolitan cities who have lost population since 1950. I think Detroit dropped from like 1.5 million to 600,000, something like that. But Detroit is still a big-time city because everyone's in the suburbs. I mean, Coleman Young, the mayor of Detroit back in this, uh, gosh, when he come in, late 60s and 70s, he you know, basically told the white people to get the hell out. <laughs> Coleman Young was a flat-out reverse racist. And the white people fled Detroit when they're in the suburbs. But Detroit is still a major metropolitan area. But still, 15% of the Detroit population, of the Detroit area population, is in Detroit. And that's like one of the, you know, one of the bigger, you know, ratios. 85% suburbs, 15% actual Detroit. Portland's 13%. So that's why when Marina are walking around Friday morning with, with massive hangovers trying to shake it off in the Portland cold, I was like, gosh, we're walking for miles. Like, what is going on here? I was like, ah, Jesus Pete, this is a pretty big city. No skyline. Absolutely no skyline. I'm not going to say no skyline to speak of. There is no skyline, period, Zippo. I don't think there's a uh, building there that's more than three stories, five at the very most. I Correct me if any Portland aficionados are out there, but I'm pretty sure I never saw a, a building over five stories tall, and I'm thinking maybe three was the max. But it's uh, it's really cool. I mean, it, it has that New England flavor. It's old as frick. I mean, it's like, I don't know, established like 1630, I don't know, something like that. And to me, it felt like a little Boston. Take Boston, shrink it down, you know, shrink it by 90%, and you got Portland. It has a cobblestone streets. Not a lot of them. I really wanted to walk on cobblestone. You know, fascinating. I don't know this is a fact. I don't know. Nassim Taleb points out that people back in, you know, 18th century or whatever, when they walked around, they burned a lot more calories and exercised their core and got far more exercise in general walking on cobblestone than you do on flat pavement for the simple reason that every time you have to step on cobblestone, your body has to recalibrate and do just a tiny bit of an adjustment. And so each step on cobblestone, you don't feel it. You know, it's like, uh, this isn't exercising me anymore or taxing me anymore than walking on, you know, flat concrete. But over the course of, you know, 5,000 steps on cobblestone, it's much, much, much more tiring and calorie burning and core developing than walking on flat concrete. That's one, that's one of the many things that Nassim Taleb points out in his books. That, that's why I like him so much. He points out these little things. You know, are probably obvious when you think about it. That, yeah, if I got to keep readjusting my feet and everything's just a smidgen unsteady on cobblestone, overall it's going to be a hell of a lot better than walking on flat concrete. So I was really looking forward to walking on, on the cobblestone, but there's not that much of it. That's kind of overblown. Plus it was wet. 
I mean, we are talking Portland, Maine in early November. <laughs> we got a lot of rain that first night, although we still had a great time. Probably because Portland, Maine also has a load of microbreweries. I don't know how many. 10, 12 in the general area. We walked by three of them just downtown alone. Went to one of them. Uh, the Liquid Riot Brewing Company. Got a flight of beers. Got the Starblush Ale. Freaking knocked my socks off. Maybe the best beer I ever had. Expensive as frick, though. I, I bought a 16-ounce bottle when I left from the store. And it was $16. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe 20-ounce, but it was just one bottle. And it was 16 bucks. And I bought that and gave it to my daughter, Abby, when I got back to Boston as a, as a gift. I will warn you, though, Marie didn't like it. It definitely has a uh, fruity, like a sour fruity kick to it. Like a, a, a tart cherry kick. I thought it was splendid. Absolutely loved it. One of the best beers I've ever had. Not sweet, uh, sour tart type. I'm not sure I could drink a ton of it, but to have you know maybe two or three to start the, the uh, to start an evening, yeah, I'd be all over it. It's Starblush Ale. I guess it's won a ton of awards, and rightly so. You know, I point this the stuff out about Portland, Maine. You know, that's the southern part of Maine. I'm told you go northern Maine. That's cool. So I have a good friend of mine. He's kind of like I am in a lot of ways. We both kind of like more the rural atmosphere, kind of being out in the middle of nowhere. We both like the bars where you walk in, there's like four dudes there. Not horny dudes, just four dudes. <laughs> four dudes there in a jukebox and hang out someplace like that. And he was from California, and he goes, he goes, he loved going to Northern California where the old hippies were and things like that. And he often goes to the Michigan UP. He says the same thing. He goes, it has the exact same feel in the Michigan Upper Peninsula it does in Northern California. And then he said, you got to go to Northern Maine. He goes, Northern Maine has the exact same feeling to it. And so I really want to get to Northern Maine. I've also read from other sources that you get to Northern Maine, you start getting close to like Nova Scotia and Quebec where you have a lot of French Canadians. And you actually start seeing some of that French Canadian influence coming across Maine, you know, across the Maine border. I, I really, really want to check that out someday. He'll take a trip to northern Maine. If I do, though, I'm going to Portland first and then driving into northern Maine because I really want to get back to Portland, Maine. Now, obviously, I can't say, hey, you got to go to Portland, Maine if you've never been to, say, New York City. Because I also love New York City. I like Boston. I like, I like big cities, too. So, yeah, I count the opportunity cost of going to Portland, Maine. But if you're already well-traveled and you're looking for a place that's a little bit off the beaten track, a little bit more unusual... Frickin' A, get to Portland, Maine. If you do, you gotta find Lincoln's. Frickin' greatest bar ever. Okay, now that's definitely the vodka tonic talking. I'm almost done with my two shots of Crystal Head. So I'm not drunk by any stretch. Maybe will be by the time this podcast gets over. (laughs) But Lincoln's is great. First off, it's called Lincoln's because that's all you can pay with. $5 bills. Nah, that's not true. You can give them 20s. But everything is 5 bucks. The drinks are 5 bucks. The t-shirts are 5 bucks. Oh, I shouldn't have said that because I got t-shirts for all my, all my kids. And they, <laughs> I don't want to spend 5 bucks on them. <laughs> Everything's 5 bucks. And I was like, God, how they can do that? I bet these drinks really are pretty weak. I freaking go into Lincoln's. I ordered gin and tonic. It's Bombay Sapphire with tonic from 
you know, from that little squirter thing, which is always better. I don't know why that is, but tonic water when they spray it in from from the, at the bar, that stuff's always straight. That's always better than bottled tonic for some reason. And they put a slowed Bombay Sapphire. I mean, I like my my gin and tonic stiff. This is almost too stiff. I was like, frick, and it was five bucks. That was it. Marie got a, I forget, all, all gash, all gash microbrew, 16 ounce, five bucks. Very, very reasonable. I don't know how they're going to contend with inflation as time goes on. But no credit cards, cash only, five bucks. Second reason is cool. They don't advertise. <laughs> it's almost like they don't care if you come or not come. Obviously they do, but they don't advertise. It is a former speakeasy from Prohibition era. And you can't freaking find the place. We just got lucky because we read about it and people said, find this half the fun because they kept the speakeasy type attitude. Or I don't know how you put it. I don't know how to phrase it. But as far as the public's concerned, this place doesn't, doesn't exist. You go to a sign called, I think it's called All You Can Eat. It's a restaurant on the main floor. And Marie and I are like, well, that's what the travel book said to look for. I don't see the speakeasy. And I was like, well, it's supposed to be downstairs. So we're standing at the top of the steps. Some dude walks in. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, can you tell me where Lincoln's is? He goes, right down these steps. And he scoots right down. Boom, disappears. I'm like, well, frick. So we go down, take a left like he did. I'm like, where the frick did he go? <laughs> There's nothing here. You know, we use the common sense, though. There's a bookcase to the right. It's like a half bookcase halfway up. We pull on the books. But they're not books. They're fake books. And boom, you walk in this freaking bar. And it is a bar. And that's all it is. <laughs> I mean, this is a freaking throwback. There ain't a pool table. There ain't a ping pong table. There ain't even a jukebox. And I love jukeboxes. There's one thing to do at Lincoln's, and that's drink. And they have some of that crushed velvet going on, but then they have a bunch of cheap tables and cheap chairs. Marie and I, we got we got a table by the stage, and I was like, I don't know what the stage is here for, but we got we got a little table there, the two of us, and these big high back chairs with crushed velvet. Her, <laughs> she could barely see the table because the the chair chair collapsed the seat, probably because she's so fat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have quite a few friends and family listen to this podcast, and they they know my wife is like smoking hot. Uh, there's like no extra no extra fat on her at all. Uh, but but kind of you know the the, the seat kind of claps on her so she could barely <laughs> so you could just see her head across the table it's kind of funny and we sat there and drank and there's like no old people there at all I mean Marie and I were hands down the oldest people of course I mean she looks like Marie looks like she's like 33 years old with my glasses on I look like I'm 60 they probably thought I was there with my daughter or something. And but the young people there, I'm gonna guess, you know, these are like young professionals, probably people went to high school together in the Portland area. Hands down a local crowd, not a tour spot at all, which which I really like. And you know I've I've railed against the term authentic and I've always said if you, if you're worried about being authentic, you're not authentic. It's like if you're worried about being cool, you're not cool. But Lincoln's, that's authentic. <laughs> so we sat there for like, I don't know, hour and then there's, there's like a little bit of activity near the stage. I was activity and I said, what's going on? I said, oh, it's commie night. And I'm just like, far freaking out commie night. I mean, I love comedians. I mean, back in the 1970s, I got like the Steve Martin albums and I listened to them like 30 times each. And you can probably tell by, you know, by how freaking funny this podcast is. <laughs> I just love stand-up comedians. And I said, can we stay in this? Yeah, it's five bucks cover. You know, if, 
if you don't mind. It's almost like there's optional pay since we've been there so long. I was like, no, frick, here, here's 10 bucks. Take 10 bucks, and they had us move to a front a front row. And the front row is just this, this velvet couch. <laughs> Marina, I sat on one end. A young couple came and sat next to us. It looked like they were probably 30 years old, and they were really, really nice. We, t- we chatted with them. Although, at this point, we've been there for almost two hours when the show was getting ready to begin. And, you know, we had to get up at like at 3 o'clock in the morning because Marie got these these round-trip tickets to Boston and back were 28 bucks. <laughs> That's how they work. But, but you got to leave like 6 in the morning, which means you got to get to the airport at 4. It means you have to get up at 6 to get there on time. And then you got to give sexual favors to the pilot's monkey or something. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, it was... We got we got the Logan International like eight thirty in the morning. Drove to, drove to Maine, and we we're getting really tired. We've been drinking like for four hours, but we hung in there and watched the this these stand up comedians come up, and it was it was great. And I I be honest with you, the comedians weren't that good, but I don't know I don't know how to put it. And no doubt, part of it was the gin and tonics then, and part of it's the vodka tonic now. But seeing these young people up there. Like, putting it on the line. And this place was packed, by the way. People people poured in for this thing. I don't know how many people were there. 100? Because it's a small bar. But I'm going to guess there's 100, 125 people there. And they had a parade of these young comics, all locals. They came up and they each got seven minutes to do their thing. And I really think it was just like one step up from open mic night. <laughs> I don't think it's much better than that. But... Every comedian there made me laugh at least once. And I just, I don't know, I just love seeing them up there putting on the line, putting the pride on the line, possibly being made fun of. And I tried to laugh as much as I could appropriately. I wasn't trying to laugh and it wasn't that funny. But I just, it was just an enchanted evening. But then they ended up with a, uh, a headliner from New York City. And that guy was freaking great. He went out for 15 minutes and he was funny as hell. So anyway, if you go to Portland, make sure you get the Lincolns. bizarre thing about Portland, Maine, tight jeans are in. <laughs> it's like every chick there I saw, well, that's an exaggeration, it wasn't every chick, but like a large number of women were wearing like ridiculously tight jeans, like from like 1980s type, type style, it was really bizarre. And yeah, some of the women shouldn't have been doing it. <laughs> Although I guess I mean, if you're overweight, if they tighten up, that can actually make it look better, I suppose. But it was, it was just bizarre. It's like, wh- where are all these painted on jeans coming from? But so that's that's one thing. I didn't find it disturbing. I just found it interesting that this was some sartorial preference in Portland, Maine. All right. Bonus lighting segments. <laughs> At least two people have told me, hey, I wouldn't mind sometime if you did a weekly demon with nothing but lighting segments. Well, to those two people out there, you're getting your wish tonight. Got my second vodka tonic in hand. <laughs> my wife's going to freaking kill me. <laughs> By the time my company arrives, I'm not sure I'll even be in their top 100 of people to drink with, much less the top five. <laughs> but anyway, we're going we're gonna to wrap up here with some more lightning segments. That's all you're getting. Yeah, you know, sorry for the lack of substance. I, I love doing the more substantive stuff. Shosky, talk more about Zen Buddhism. But those of you who know me, if you listen to the podcast, you know I think you know a couple drinks gets you in that existential gap. 
between subject and object, we just look out and stare. And because I'm not attached to the object or attached to the subject, yeah, I'm just doing the podcast in that zone, even if it's fueled by vodka. That's it's, it's it's a good thing. As George Costanza says about Ma Newer, it, it's not bad. <laughs> if you don't understand that Seinfeld reference, I think you probably Google George and Manure and it's not bad and see what I'm talking about. So, after Portland, Marie and I drove back to Boston, met up with my daughter and son-in-law. Got one of the greatest sons-in-law in the world, by the way. He listens to his podcast, cool as hell. No matter, we, we, we meet up with them, we drive to Newport. Newport, Rhode Island. What do I say about Newport? You know, this is where JFK got married. This is like the upper crust of society. This is where one of the Vanderbilt heirs built a huge house that they call the Breakers. You can you can tour it for 14 bucks, which is highly recommended. No one lives there. Strictly a museum at this point. It is like Exhibit A of the Gilded Age. But it's pretty freaking gritty. I mean, I'm not sure I'd want my daughter walking around there at night in certain neighborhoods. It's uh, kind of economically depressed. It's like America's number one tourist resort. People love it. And I loved it too, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But I like Portland more. Newport's very cool, though. I mean, don't let me steer you away from Newport. But but here, I guess here's what I'm saying. If someone says, hey, we got two days to spend. Do you want to go to Portland, Maine or go to Newport? Take Portland, Maine. Newport does have probably more history if you're into that like upper crust type stuff if you're into like the Kennedys I mean I'm not <laughs> um, I mean it, it was the home of the first US Open in tennis and golf it's now the home of the uh, Tennis Hall of Fame which is actually pretty cool I think it cost like 12 bucks to go through it I don't know but definitely wor- it was definitely worth the money didn't knock my socks off but it was it was, it was a small Museum, but very, very neat. Definitely liked it. They too had their microbreweries, which I'd recommend. I went to one of them. I can't remember the name. Went out there is funny. I, I'm, I'm not a big microbrewery guy. Nothing against microbreweries. I mean, I, I think, I think microbreweries are kind of like the G.K. Chesson distributors movement. Yes, <laughs> of like three massive breweries: Coors, Anheuser Busch, and Miller. Now you got all these little ants like taking chunks out of that 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 drinking population that that drinking market and i absolutely freaking love it that being said i've only been to like maybe half dozen in my entire life but newport has a few and we went to one of them and it's also a distillery so i was like well i don't know and the marine rob and abby they ordered a, a flight of beers and i was like i'll get a flight of gin with the with the hay and i was like oh wow it's uh it's straight gin you know, it's good, but I'm not much to drink alcohol straight. And I was like, I was like, I'll probably get some tonic. No tonic. <laughs> I said, well, we don't make mixed drinks here. I was like, look, I'm not asking you to whip out the freaking blender. <laughs> you know, I don't even want a freaking shaker, you know, do it over your ear type shaking it up. I just want some tonic. It's <laughs> <was> like, nope, <laughs> no tonic. <laughs> and I didn't, he didn't say it's, it's Rhode Island law. She just said, we don't make mixed drinks here this time of year. <laughs> I was like, frick. So I choked down that flight of, of gin straight. 
Because I guess heroes are made every day. <laughs> but yeah, I really like Newport. But if you go there, again, check out the Tennis Hall of Fame. It's pretty cool. Definitely check out the Breakers. And definitely, definitely, definitely get to the freaking Firehouse Theater. Wow. My son-in-law, he, he took us there. He, 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 uh, it was his gift to us. He took us to Firehouse Theater. It's a comedy night. And again, I love comedy. So I got to see comedy Thursday night in Portland. And then Saturday night in Newport. Makes a splendid trip. In the Firehouse Theater, it's improv. And these guys were five of the funnest dudes I've ever been around. <laughs> I mean, I was dying. And you know what's really cool? Rhode Island doesn't care if you bring in your own beer. Like in Michigan, if you serve beer, you can't let people bring in your own spirits, your own alcohol, which is just freaking ridiculous. And I understand they're trying to protect the people who do have licenses, who had to spend $40,000 to get a license to sell something that flows more naturally than freaking water. <laughs> Don't get me started. So I understand why Michigan has that law, but it's ridiculous in the, in the grand scheme of things. There should be no licenses required to sell alcohol. There should be no restrictions on bringing alcohol anywhere. And it's not because I'm a drunk, by the way. That's not why I'm a big alcohol fan. It's because by pinching and, and suppressing alcohol like that, you make its abuse worse. Just let it flow freely as water, and it'll become as valued as water. And once it's as valued as water, people aren't going to drink as much of it. Yeah, you're, you're still going to be derelicts and your losers who become alcoholics and bums and all that. But you have that now. That's not going to increase. By normalizing and making it as freely available as water, you'll 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 make it as special as water. You know, right now you can't drink till you're 21. When I freaking turned 21, it's like going into a bar was like an almost religious experience for me for like the first three years. <laughs> and I had a killer fake ID for two and a half years before that. My brother looks just like me. He's older than I am. He actually went to Secretary of State. Told me he lost his license. This is back in the early, this is back in the mid-80s. They gave him a new license, then he gave me his, so it was uncut, unmutilated, brand new, unexpired. I freaking whipped that baby out. No one questioned that was my brother. I got turned down twice. One time from a dude who just couldn't believe I was 21, just would not bend. Second time, uh, from a chick who went to went to school with my brother. Like, <laughs> get the hell out of here, Eric. <laughs> Actually, she wasn't that cool about it. She threatened to call the police on me. <laughs> but but anyway, when I turned 21, though, now that it's now 100% legal, it was like a religious experience for me. That's absurd. And that's not my shortfalling, by the way. You talk to anyone who likes to drink about turning 21, it's a big freaking deal. That's why people get so drunk when they turn 21. It shouldn't be a big freaking deal. It should be an everyday occurrence, and when you make it a big freaking deal, that's when the alcohol abuse kicks in. Anyway... The Firehouse Theater doesn't have a liquor license, I don't think. And you go to this liquor store next door, you put it in a bag, and you walk in there and drink. <laughs> so, we've been drinking for quite a while. We sat at a bar watching the LSU Alabama game for like three hours. I had, I know, I had a slow of gin and tonics. And I was like, well, hey, you're going to the Firehouse Theater, you're comping us, or you're, you know, this is your gift to us. I'll pick up the booze. What do you guys want? No one really wanted anything because we've all been drinking for hours. So I picked up this Bacardi Hurricane Mix. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I picked up this Bacardi Zombie Mix. Pre-mixed. 12.5% alcohol. It was awful. 
we sucked down like two thirds of it. But I got like a half gallon of it, and it was just awful. But it was enough for the for the hour and a half show to get us through it without you know without the hangover kicking in. So it did its job. But we got there and watched this comedy troupe, this improv, freaking lights out funny. I mean, at one point I was actually had tears in my eyes. I was laughing so hard. So if you get to Newport, get to the Firehouse Theater and check out the improv. I can't recommend it enough. Alright, this has gone on long enough. That's a wrap. As always, thanks for listening.